Hello everyone, and welcome back to NR1990s, uh, the podcast where your hosts are ranking all of the alternative albums of the 1990s, whether or not we spent the afternoon painting our house. I'm your host, Natalie, the house painter, and uh, with me as always is my non-house painting uh, co-host, Hadrian. How are you doing, Hadrian? Oh, not so bad. I'm the incorrigible dandy who watched you paint the house. (laughs) Uh, You were at work. You weren't really I was sitting at my desk, peering through the window as you gallantly climbed the ladder. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm dying, so let's get right into it. Uh, I've been dead for years. (laughs) You're just dead inside. (laughs) So our first album this week is from 1998. And it is by Placebo. It's their second album, Without You, I'm Nothing. And this is your pick, so get us started on that. Uh, this is what uh, I, I I waffle back and forth on saying if this is my favorite Placebo. This is my favorite goddamn Placebo album. It is the it is arguably the best Placebo album as well. I think there are more effective songs on both uh, Sleeping With Ghosts and Black Market Music. But this album is so fucking important and Brian Malko kind of hates it now which is fine because at the time that this album was recorded Brian Malko was had just been in uh Velvet Goldmine where he was uh, where Placebo was actually all in Velvet Goldmine where they were singing uh Bittersweet by Roxy Music uh they were in the there's a scene where they're in a Berlin nightclub and you just hear Nein das ist nichts das in der Welt and it's like very like anyways that's not the end of the world and i fucked that up but it doesn't matter uh because i didn't have the beat in my head uh but i was like what the fuck is this because i remember seeing that movie because that movie came out in 98 and at this time placebo was going through this transition of getting really popular all of a sudden on their first album and then the inevitable problems of being popular which often leads to substance abuse so, in the course of rec- working on Velvet Goldmine, Brian Malcolm met Eddie Izzard, who got out of his nice 70s suit on set and into a woman's blouse, which fucking blew Brian Malcolm's <laughs> mind. And this was around the time that Malcolm was like, let's explore sexuality, let's explore uh, gender presentation, let's be queer as shit. Also, I'm f- on a lot of heroin. I'm on a lot of heroin. And so that really, I think knowing that going into this album makes this album make so much more sense yeah he claimed that he did not do heroin and then actually it's really funny i think this is in the wikipedia entry it just says like malco claimed that he that the heroin was the only drug he had never done later he admitted that he did heroin <laughs> i mean he looked like he looked like heroin chic in yeah, the 90s. Like, yeah. yeah that's what he looked like i'm but, assuming he did a lot of ketamine yeah given that they have a song called special k but, this whole album is a lot of that but yeah this album is (laughs) oddly personal yet hastily planned uh just like the song pure morning was done like in a fierce few seconds when he was just like oh we need a song boy it sounds like it yeah i mean not not musically that that's a good song musically and a terrible song lyrically yeah this this uh this really sets the bar for brian malco finally well it's not really just Brian. So Stefan, Stephen, and Brian. Stephen at the time, he's no longer with the band. But Stefan and Brian Malko went to school in Luxembourg uh, together. They went to a high school in Luxembourg. And that's kind of where they formed Ashtray Heart, which is the original 
original band, and they'd always been kind of just playing music together as high school friends, and then that transformed into, what if we actually had a band, though? <laughs> and the, one of their, their principals, when they write songs, that whoever writes the, the guitar part plays the guitar part. Uh, on stage, eventually this turned into Brian usually just having a bunch of different tuned guitars and playing the parts. Which so, is very Sonic Youth. Yes. They were very into Sonic Youth. <laughs> yeah, it's very clear on this record that they're very into Sonic Youth. But yeah, um, I, 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 so this is like when you trying to talk about, oh god, when you trying to talk about Fei Wong, the other the other time, uh, and just getting in the weeds with it. Like this is kind of what I feel about getting in the weeds with it. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, okay. that's kind of what the show's about. Yeah, but so I, I really like Placebo. Placebo is relevant to me in a lot of ways because this album, I didn't hear it in '98, but I and I didn't see Velvet Goldmine in '98, but I saw Velvet Goldmine in around 2000 and around 2002, one and two. My uh, a friend of the family gave me this album. Because she spotted that I was probably queer as fuck. And <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you saw it just in time for puberty. <laughs> oh, yeah. So this this album uh, was that for me. This is like the sound of my puberty. Like, this is why I am as fucking weird as I am, I guess. It's one of the reasons. One of the reasons. But like... But you, had some, you had some background in that. Your mom prepared you. Yes, but like, this... This hit in a way, and in a way that I needed, that I, I would just sit there and just listen to it hours and hours and hours. I would spend the summers with my grandmother and just listen to this album at night because there was nothing else to do. Because there was nothing else to do! So, to talk about the, talk about the album, it's... Placebo doesn't like the way this sounds, and a lot of critique about it is that it, it sounds somewhat forced in its recording because they were trying to forced their sound into a more dance and pop sound that wasn't really theirs. And it's recorded by someone who was way more uh, familiar with dance and pop music. Yeah, um, and they were like not on speaking terms with him by the end of the recording. Yes. Which is... Very obvious. I don't See, I don't think... I mean, I think this album, like... I, I didn't see anything where Brian Maltrow said he doesn't like it now. It seemed like he thought it thought it was pretty like black market music is the one that he kind of was like i'm not sure how good that one is now but but everything i saw it seemed like he liked this one still oh there was i think there was always a vibe of it like this just doesn't sound the way that he wanted it to sound and it doesn't sound the way that placebo sounds later and it doesn't i mean it, it so this album prefaces their sonic youth influence a lot because they did some of that but they were more Brian sang in a higher register, so he would bring he would bring his voice further up into into a more nasally sound on the first album, and by the time they got to this one, and I think somewhat influenced by the way that he sounds in Velvet Goldmine, uh, he was like, I don't want to do that anymore. He still has a high a higher pitched voice than a lot of men singing he, at the time. He's still nasally on this album, but it's like it's not the kind of nasally that I dislike. It's not like how I hated Marcy Playground so much for the nasally vocals. Like this is just uh, weirdly voice. like I actually like some really nasally male singers like but i i like brian malter just fine i i really like john Linnell from they might be giants and mm -hmm. he's very nasally um so well, i don't i don't have a problem with that except with like certain vocal techniques and brian malter doesn't do those so no and, and brian has a certain amount of resonance that, i mean he's very he relies on certain vocal tricks too because and i know this very intimately because i would imitate his singing voice and could do it relatively well uh, when I was st still doing a lot of singing. 
I also imitated looking like Brian Malko a lot when I was <laughs> way thinner and yeah. Well, look, I'm pretty into pretty into women. Brian Malko's pretty man. Brian Malko's very pretty. He's pretty. He's a pretty man. And he's aged so. well. Yeah, he's. He, I didn't expect, and 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 if you ever hear this, Brian, I'm sorry. I didn't expect it. <laughs> uh, it was like you and Alex Capranos just huh, aging real well. I can't talk about Franz Ferdinand's album so on this uh, podcast, so that's my one reference of look at Alex Capranos. He's quite attractive. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I I liked this record. Um, I I do think it's it works strangely well for how clashing it is Mm -hmm. because it seems like it's either this very sonic youth inspired stuff or it's this kind of like um like downbeat ballady stuff and not a lot of like real connection between the two halves but to me it never sounds like it's not working like it, it doesn't sound like two different bands recorded half an album yeah, and then the, the so the slow songs, that's kind of where Malko complains about this album, is that he feels that there are too many slow songs for a band's second album. And, I mean, I don't think there's a necess- necessarily a moratorium on that, but I, I can see that. But I don't think any of the songs are necessarily too slow. The only ones that are really slow are uh, My Sweet Prince and Burger Queen. I think Ask, the Sea, Ask for Answers is fine. It's not nearly as it has a nice like dreamy do 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 do. So you so you mentioned Roxy Music earlier and Ask for Answers. That song is depressing to me in exactly the same way that Roxy <laughs> Music is depressing. So I'm glad that I'm not insane because that song sounds so Roxy Music to me and in a way that I don't like it. Oh, it's it's not Roxy Music at all. But I can I can I'll I'll give you that. It's I I don't remember if we've talked about my my weird reactions to Roxy Music on this show. I know they've come up, but like Roxy Music makes me want to kill myself and I I can't really explain it. It's just the most depressing shit I've ever heard in my life in a way that I recognize they're not depressing or they're not what most people would call depressing, but it just makes me want to fucking slit my wrists. And that's the same feeling I get from Ask for Answers. Well, it, I mean, so the aesthetic of Roxy Music is is very after-the-party, like, cocaine fallout glitter. And... Like, maybe I'm picking up on that? I don't know. It's I think just... you are, because, I mean, if you... In, the songs that you've heard, some of my favorite songs are the more, like, cocaine fallout glitter. And Brian Malko definitely has that vibe in a lot of the way that he writes he writes lyrics that he Brian Ferry's a better lyricist overall but there is a lot of neo-glam sorry there's a lot of glam in Placebo and it's very earnest it's not it's not brute forcing it like Space Hog Placebo is definitively neo-glam because Brian Malko just fucking is like he got he, he was in a movie that was fictionalizing the life of David Bowie and that fundamentally changed his perspective he was already had his foot in the door by then, and then once that once that film was over, he recorded uh, without you uh, without you I'm nothing with David Bowie. Yeah, they re-recorded it. Yeah, it was released officially on Black Market Music, but there was it was released as a, as a single around the time that this album came out. I think what I read is on the American version, it's the Bowie re-recording, and on the UK version, it's the original. Of uh, what? On of that song. 
On Black Market? No, on this album. Oh, maybe. I've always heard it was just this one, but either yeah, way, it's, sure. it's a good version of this of that song. I recommend go find going and finding it where you're using the version that doesn't have that. And I like that song a lot. It's it's very fuzzy and full feeling for a placebo song. That they they get that sound later on. Uh, but this was their first foray into that just really like buzzy filling your head with just like a, a sort of static but you kind of want it yeah well there's some i mean as the as the noise fan of the two of this there's some stuff on here that i really like admired uh brick shithouse being an example there's a lot of good guitar bashing in that song there's also i don't like the part the one time on the album where his nasally vocals annoy me is the like don't you wish you'd never met her part in mm, that that's song him talking that's his actual yeah, speaking where part. he's like don't you wish you never met her and i'm like what the what is that what are you do? it sounds like <laughs> steve urkel says that part like through a distortion pedal but otherwise that song is real good um that was one of my favorites uh whenever i was mad that would be the one that i would, I would play and then um, the song Allergic to Thoughts of Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. That song is sometime listen to that back to back with the song Sometimes by My, My Bloody Valentine. Oh, it's absolutely. like the exact same chord progression almost. Oh, Definitely the exact same rhythm. A bit. I mean, it's like, I see what you're doing there, Brian. I, I, taught, I taught that. Um, you're, you're, yeah, you're making a My Bloody Valentine song. Um, but yeah, like, I think this is. Um, another reason that the, like the slow songs don't bother me is that they're not just slow for the sake of we need a slow song. Like there's actual, like, thought <laughs> put into them and actual um, composition and like production values there that make those songs work. Like, and to, I like, I to me, about- it doesn't sound like a, um, it doesn't it it doesn't sound like a sophomore slump or like oh you know we're trying something different it sounds like they're maturing over the first album yeah i mean brian's seen some shit between 96 and 98 and they all had and uh steven was very mad that they were getting lumped in as a Britpop band because he didn't want to be a Britpop band and stefan didn't care particularly <laughs> yeah and and they're I've, I've never really thought they sound a lot like a Britpop band they're way too I mean, just the Sonic Youth stuff is way too present there. And, and it, I, like, we keep, like, if anyone listening to this has never heard Placebo, like, I don't want to give the impression that, like, they're a knockoff of Sonic Youth, because they're not at all. But, like, there's no doubt that, that they're fans of Sonic Youth. It's a, it's a very fond tribute to Sonic Youth, pretty much from this album on. Uh, because they just... And that's what I... I think that's what I appreciate, appreciate about Brian Malko, is that he latches on to music that he appreciates and then he makes his own version of it in a pretty convincing way i mean he later on he he stepped hardcore into what if i was david bowie and i don't think he's as effective but because i always think i think he's more of a mark bolan type but he doesn't see that <laughs> <laughs> yeah either way they're not like space hard and no. the, like space hard sounds like i mean i said when we reviewed that album that it sounds like Ziggy Stardust is the only album they've ever listened to. And this is absolutely not that. It's this like, is... yeah, there's glam influence, but it's it's not a, they're not ripping anything off. Like, they're combining their influences into their own sound, which is instantly recognizable, which is what you should do. Yeah, that's what's what makes a, what's what makes an iconic and lasting musician. And when they came out with their, their self-titled album, like, that... 
there was nothing sounding like that in the market. I mean, there were things that were similar, but like it just like this seems kind of weird and gay and yeah. I mean, I think the first album's a lot less unique. It's it's a lot more just kind of queer punk pop. Yeah, but, <laughs> um, there's, but there's a lot of room for that. <laughs> the, like maybe less pop than 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 punk, but it's it, there were a lot of sort of noisy three piece bands at the time. Um, and and this album was a maturation and they continued to mature um i i like this record i think that it's hard i haven't listened to placebo enough to definitively say i think probably either um meds or fuck what's the one with the two people like phasing into each other on the cover sleeping with ghosts yeah yeah those two are probably my favorites Meds is very good. Um, I, I think this one, just because it was such a formative part of my existence, it is, it is the placebo album in my brain. Yeah, I just feel like they were heading in that direction and needed to go all the way. Like, I think it's more interesting, sort of the more, the more produced and thoughtful they get as they go on. And... I don't know. They they never seemed like a band to me that like could say everything they had to say with just punk rock. It's very true, and I and I'm glad that they acknowledged that even as they were playing around with stuff. It's like I I bring up I bring up Franz Ferdinand in this in this conversation because Franz Ferdinand has a very distinct sound. You hear a Franz Ferdinand song, you're like, oh, yep, that's 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 them boys because they're another like very stripped down kind of setup. And every single album, they would go into the studio and be like, okay, we have researched a lot of Af- African music and world music, and we're going to make something completely different. And then suddenly it sounds exactly like Franz Ferdinand, just slower. And they're just like, Ugh. And placebo, there's a very definitive placebo sound, but then the, the way they play with how their sound is, is functional and changes. And this is not saying that Franz Ferdinand's bad in any way. You need bands that are consistent and just making their music. But, man, Placebo is great. And <laughs> being able to listen to this album again just made me so happy this week. It was... It's a, it's a warm hug. And also realizing that, that yes, I was correct. My Sweet Prince is about heroin and a boy. So... <laughs> man, I could not have, like, a bigger opposite feeling of that i think placebo is so fucking depressing and that's why i haven't listened to them more like they they really are depressing in the same way as roxy music just not as bad <laughs> for me um all the music that brings me joy brings you whoa <laughs> yeah it, there's just such a i appreciate it more with placebo um i think because I've I've never known any of them very well, but like I've known a few Brian Maltos in my life, like like kind of gay boys and Brian Maltos bisexual, but mm-hmm. but I'm saying gay for like who just kind of didn't have everything figured out and couldn't quite get their shit together, and like I just that's what I think about when I listen to Placebo, and I'm like oh man, I want you to like. I want you to be okay, but you're determined to not be okay, and it's sad. Yeah, and then, and like he's, I, he seems like he's pretty okay. <laughs> at oh least yeah. Now in real life, so. he, he grew up. He has a kid. He might yeah. have more than one kid. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, and like he he grew up and became an adult man, and that's good. Good on you, because most 
Because there was there were two paths that could have gone. It could have gone a real Kurt Cobain, or it could have gone the way they went. And, yeah, and or then, he could have gone like the Manic Street Preacher singer who just disappeared without a trace. And no one knew, knew if he was alive or dead, and still, I mean, at this point he's assumed to be dead, but his body was never found. He just disappeared. That's that's fun times. Yeah. So yeah, uh, my my favorite songs on this album are Every You, Every Me, uh, You Don't Care About Us. Yeah, Alert. You Don't Care About Us is really good. Uh, Allergic to Thoughts of Mother Earth. I love Summer's Gone and Scared of Girls a whole lot. Um, and My Sweet Friends. Sorry, my uh, my notes just reset. Um, oh god, where are my notes? <laughs> um, yeah, Summer's Gone I really like because that, that's like the weirdest song on the album from a this is really different from everything else on the album standpoint. It sounds like the Sundays run mm-hmm. through a distortion pedal. Um, it's like an acoustic guitar with like overdrive on it, but the chords he's playing are very Sundays. It, like we need to just fucking do a Sundays album because this is the third week in a row that I've like talked heavily about them. Yeah, or somewhat heavily. But anyway, that I liked that that song is the most Natalie song on the album. Um, it's probably not my favorite just because I it's a little slight, but like it's it's really good. And I should point out that Every You, Every Me uh, is, is probably the placebo song most people know outside of The Bitter End, which was on every video game in the early 2000s. I was going to say, there's a song of theirs in SSX. Yeah, it's It's the off the end. first album. No, it's not. Oh, it's... Wait, maybe it is? Yeah, I thought that the I thought that in SSX 3... That's what Bitter's a, End. Okay. For some reason, I thought that was on the first album. No, it's on Sleeping With Ghosts. Oh, okay. Uh, but, because uh, it came out in 2003, and so did uh, that game. Uh, but... Uh, Every You Over Me is on the Cruel Intentions soundtrack, which I was arguing before when we first started this podcast that we needed to do the Cruel Intentions soundtrack, and I know we're not going to do it, but I wanted to do it as a, a almost like an offshoot episode because that album sum, sums up the fucking 90s so hard <laughs> of just, like, shitty, drug-abusing teenagers being shitty and murdering one another. I mean, there's several albums. Like, the kids' soundtrack might be, like... We could do them. We could do them together. Like we could do. We could just do a nice like one-off episode about. Like, Maybe if we start a Patreon, we can have like the. My my opposition to doing soundtracks on the show is that they're usually not original music. Um, like I would be fine with doing like the Judgment Night soundtrack, and I think we should at some point because it's all original. Well, I, the reason I was arguing for this is that I think there the nineties played host to a lot of soundscaping of pop songs and 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 just music in general being thrown together like the fucking batman soundtracks like those were a lot of those were like uh, alternative music just thrown into a big cauldron i mean look the crow soundtrack is one of the most influential albums on me well it's a good ass album so so it it, like i fucking love the crow soundtrack but we're not gonna rank it on on the main show no but we but hey if you want to hear us talk about movie soundtracks maybe uh leave us one of them there comments maybe we'll maybe we'll start a patreon yeah. maybe someone will stab you with a knife <laughs> okay so yeah um that's pretty much everything i have to say except i just want to re-emphasize that pure morning has some of the worst lyrics i've ever heard and Brian Malko admits he it. admits it he didn't perform that song for nine years and i felt very vindicated it made me feel like i'm not being an asshole 
but like that song is up there with Easy Breezy by Hikaru Otada of like worst lyrics to be put out by a good musician. <laughs> but you know what? If you're not doing, if you don't really listen to it, and you just have it like. I, I say this a lot when you're just doing something else, and that song comes on, you're just like, "Yeah." No, the 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 line "Friends with Weed are better" will always just pull me out of whatever I'm doing to be like, "Oh, you, how old are you? <laughs> this is your second album. You can buy your own weed, Jesus Christ!" And also, don't sing about it. Nobody gives a fuck. It, he was just reaching for rhymes. Okay. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> that's bad. If you don't have a rhyme, rewrite something. My crush with eyeliner. Yeah, that's a bad song too. Yeah, no, it's up there with that. Like, I think that's in the pantheon of all of the songs that have bad lyrics. But you, this one's one of those ones that I'm just like, you know, I always knew it was bad. I just like the beat too much. Yeah, and it's a very that's uh, so I should mention also that like that song is smashing pumpkins as fuck mm-hmm. because of the like guitar octaves he's doing are so Cherub Rock or Tristessa. Or it's actually more gish than than Siamese Dream, Smashing Pumpkins, but it's it's Billy Torgan loved those fucking octaves and the like vaguely Middle Eastern sound that they have, and and they're very effective with a nice driving beat. And... Yeah, I mean they are kind of a sh- they can be kind of a shortcut to epic. Yes, and it feels like this is supposed to be the epic opener. Um, and like, like I said, it's a pretty good song if you ignore the lyrics, but you can't because the lyrics are so embarrassingly bad. <laughs> but you know what? He didn't perform it, so. Yeah. Go. So again, vindication. And one thing before we, we go to the rankings. Um, so did you actually listen to Evil Dildo? I listened to it once. I thought it was deeply unimpressive. <laughs> well, yeah, that's why I didn't put it on the collection because it's like not on. It's not on my vinyl at all. And... It's just like a long instrumental, and then it also has uh, actual um, record, uh, voice message threats that Brian Malcolm received worked into it, which was one of the reasons I didn't want to. Somehow I didn't notice that. Yeah. What What did he get threats about? Uh, I don't remember the exact nature of them, but it was like I'd listened to it a long time ago. And I was like, you know, I'm good. Yeah, I think I didn't listen. I, th- I think I actually didn't even listen to the whole song. I think I turned it off. <laughs> you probably didn't get to that. <laughs> or part. I skipped. I think it, maybe I, I because I was listening to it and it just kept going. And then I looked and I was like, oh, the song's like eight minutes long. And I just skipped to the end and it sounded like it was still doing the same thing. So I probably skipped over the part with the voice messages. Yeah, but that's why I left it off the playlist because it, it's really not anything to write home about and it's you're not missing anything good. The only thing I wish I could do is we could talk about black market music because one of my favorite shitty hidden songs is black market blood which i used as the lyrics in my myspace profile pic <laughs> for a while that was that was the time of the myspace mm-hmm. all right well you ready to rank it yep all right what do you think number two Hmm. <laughs> I so my perfect position for this one is number six. Number six between ten and eight arms to hold you. I think it's better than ten. I definitely don't think it's better than ten, but I don't think it's like I. I definitely don't think it's better than Philosophy of Momus. Um, I. Um, 
I don't know what what are you. I mean, I could, come uh, come back at me here, like. Well, I was I was letting you get your piece out. Uh, <laughs> I mean, realistically, I think it is better than ten. Just overall, from my personal listening standpoint, if I ever want to listen to an album, it's going to be this every time. Yeah, and see, uh, for me, it's going to be ten. And nine I, times out of ten. <laughs> so. And I think that it is better than eight arms to hold you. Oh, definitely. definitely. Uh, so I'm, I'm willing. Oh, sorry. Did I say number? Uh, I meant between ten and eight arms to hold you was where I was saying. Oh, but. yes. I'm, I'm, I'm coming around to agreeing with you. Oh. Let me finish my statement. <laughs> I personally would not want to put it below ten, but I also know that if we do put it below ten, someone is going to send me a letter well so, i mean don't worry about that like i'm i'm willing to have that discussion i probably would not put it above kill uncle no i think I it goes might right. be able to be persuaded but i i i think that it, in the way that this defines the rest of placebo's career it is a very functionally great album that it just has some some missteps which aren't even that bad no and it's so it, it's like a, a nice little package that sounds that opens the door to the rest of what they record. And it's a good, like, you know, number five. I, I think yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's, and it, it is my personal feelings aside. It, it just, this song, this album spoke to a lot of people going through being queer and not having any kind of outlet for it because placebo kind of just, opened a door that people were trying to find at all and be like yeah my uncle's really cute and wearing skirts now and then talks about girls but also boys oh my gosh and then so like it becomes this yeah that's that's persuasive to me i can put it yeah with that i think i can put it above 10 um the reason i would not put it above kill uncle is that kill uncle is like despite me like kind of like talking it down the last few episodes it's like a fun morrissey album and like it this album is so depressing and it's really hard to listen to for me because it's so depressing um so i wouldn't put it above kill uncle because of that but like do you think this is more of like a queer milestone than kill uncle uh, I don't think it is. I think Morrissey has the corner on that kind of just queer shittiness, which look that's what it is. More, more <laughs> Morrissey owns the corner store, where being kind of clever, being shitty, and being queer has all just met, and it's that's but that's valid because it, it's a sort of like self ownership that you need. It's confidence. It's a become something shitty later but like it, it, it's confidence and this is the other side of that it, it's dirty it's it's dirty glitter yeah yeah and, it, and it, it speaks to a lot of queer experiences of like i don't know what the fuck to do i'm gonna do some drugs to feel better about it oh that was a bad idea and people are like hey you need to stop he's like yeah i need to probably not do this but now i'm in bad relationships and i'm on drugs and so it's i feel like if morrissey had just like fucking done some drugs he probably wouldn't be like what he is politically now <laughs> i think that like getting there's an element of like letting yourself go a little insane that is probably good for you ultimately yes. that morrissey tried to bottle it up and like became what he is and like as far as i know brian malko has never defended any white nationalists so no and that's always been pretty oh like up there being like no be a good be a cool person and on a side note 
um, a guy I went to high school with, his dad went to school with uh, Brian and Stefan. And anytime that they're playing in America and they're anywhere near, he'll just go into like the box office and be like, hey, could you could you leave the band a message? Because they, they take messages and they tell them that I'm here. And he would always get invited backstage because they were like, oh, we went to school in Luxembourg together. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're just... Brian Muckle's history is real weird because he's another I'm I'm very fond of Brian Malko. Yeah, he seems like a like a cool guy. Like <laughs> he seems like a guy who's cool now who probably would have been like real shitty to be around at a certain point in his he, life. He, he's a good he's a good example of fucking around and then wising up. And then yeah, like that's yeah. and that's a good and, and in music we have many people like that. And, and not like a ton of them in the nineties though. So like, No, everyone who fucked up in the nineties is either dead or you know, or a, way worse. Yeah. Dead or we can't say it because they'll sue us. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so you think so you're good with this one going at number five? I think it's a good number five. And I, I think mean so I, too. I know people who like Pearl Jam more will be like, they fucking hate Pearl Jam. I'm like, they're still in the top ten. No, I fucking I love ten and I would put ten a I would just based on the music I'd put 10 above this but as like I I don't want to like have the straight white guy rock band list so I'm like we are making it kind of a Hadrian's queer carnival well the next album we're doing is very gay so oh, um mm-hmm. we, we don't really have to worry about that in this episode but, <laughs> no. but yeah so let's put this one without you i'm nothing goes at number five between kill uncle and 10 and that's where it's gonna live for now i i so my, the long joke is i want 10 to be resting at number 10 <laughs> yeah i mean that's my long con here we're only 22 albums and 23 albums into the 90s now so like like I've said before, the top ten is not going to be the top ten forever. Yeah. Um. Like based on what's there, like some of the stuff, like I don't, I don't necessarily see like Liberation dropping out of the top ten. Um. I I can definitely see Ten and Kill Uncle dropping out of the top ten in the future. Oh yeah. But, um. Anyway, so let's take a break, and uh, we'll be back with the magnetic fields. We are back, and it is time to talk about Get Lost by the Magnetic Fields. I'm very excited about this. I have a, a I have a history with the Magnetic Fields. Natalie has a, a prepared statement. <laughs> I don't really, but <laughs> they were... So I was a very big fan when I was in high school of a Nickelodeon show called The Adventures of Pete and Pete, and... One of the things I was a really big fan of on that show was the music that they used. Because if you, if you are not American, or if you are too young to have watched The Adventures of Pete and Pete, it was a weird fucking show. It was very surrealistic. Um, it was very funny. It, it was a kid's show that adults could, could appreciate. It had good celebrity cameos, like Michael Stipe played an ice cream man in one episode. Um, also, um, fuck, what's her name? Kate, the redheaded woman from the B-52s. Kate Mm. Pearson. She was, she was, I think, actually, I think in that same episode with Michael Stipe. 
because that would have been around the time that they were making shiny happy people together um which sounds like i'm saying they gave birth now that i think about it but um anyway so i didn't know who did the music on that show because there was a lot of it that i just kind of assumed was like in-house um so one of the first things I ever looked up when my school got the internet is I went in the library and got on a computer and searched for The Adventures of Pete and Pete to see if I could find out who did the music. And it turns out it a lot of it was done by this guy called Stephen Merritt. <laughs> and in particular... Excellent man to score your children's show. His ba Well, so he didn't really score it. They just used... they used, The reason I didn't say just the magnetic fields is they also used songs by one of his other bands, The Sixths. Um, and they would usually just cut the vocals out. Like they just use instrumental seg segments of it as like incidental music. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go buy everything I can find by the Magnetic Fields and the Sixth. And I did. And that was how I discovered them. So I've, I'm a, and I'm a Magnetic Fields hipster. Like I was listening to them from just after the time Get Lost came out, it, which it came out in 1995. And then after 69 Love Songs, I burned out real hard on them, and I kind of got to where I couldn't listen to them anymore. Um, I, I kind of felt like Stephen Merritt got a little too clever for his own good, and I kind of just got tired of him. He is too clever for his own good, and it gets him into a lot of trouble. Uh, you also didn't mention that Iggy Pop was on Pete. Oh yeah, yeah. Iggy Pop played Nona Mecklenburg's dad. Yeah. Uh, Michelle Trachtenberg, their next door neighbor. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I know there were others too. Well, like the so the band Polaris or the Miracle Legion is their actual name, but on the show they were called Polaris. Um, they did the theme song to the show, which is great. I mean, it's that band's best song by a wide margin, and they they also appeared in an episode. Pete and Pete's great. If you've never seen it, you have to watch it. It is one of like the great weird TV shows of all time. Mm. Um, but Magnetic Fields. So I don't even know where to start with <laughs> to talk about them. Um, I mean, they've been, I think their first album came out in 91 and they're still going and they've had a million band members, but Stephen Merritt is the... Stephen Merritt and to a slightly lesser, lesser degree Claudia Johnson are like the two members who are always there and Stephen Merritt writes all the songs. So to just narrow it down then like pre-69 love songs because I didn't realize that I hadn't thought about the fact that there were no albums between Get Lost which is the album we're ranking and 69 love songs mm -hmm. that, that's like four years in between. Which I think is the longest they ever went without releasing an album. Well, wasn't weren't they also doing like the Future Bible Heroes at that time too? Yeah, he he did Future Bible Heroes. He did the first sixth album, um, and then obviously sixty nine love songs is sixty nine songs, so that would have taken some time to to write and record and produce. Um, I fucking love sixty nine love songs. It, yeah. it, I mean that, and I also love I. I is actually my my absolute favorite. Yeah, which is like nuts to me because that was the one. Well, D distortion is the one where I was like, I need a break from this band. I'm not going <laughs> to listen to their next few albums. Um, even though there's some songs I really love on distortion. But um, this, but get lost is less of a concept piece as the rest of like later 
Uh, at least between yeah. 69 Love Songs and I, those are very, like, concept pieces of everything's going to be this. Well, and the album right before this, Charm of the Highway Strip, is very concepty as well. Yeah. Um, and I guess we could we could make the argument this is kind of, like, get lost is just sort of getting lost in a feeling and getting lost in a sense of in a sense of place and an aesthetic or staring at the moon. Yeah, lots of lots, lots of the of, moon on this album. And my, my my whole my whole joke here is like, man, this album is like you know heckin' gay. I wonder if he's trying to do a riff on like the whole Twilight shit. Not like Twilight the books, but like uh, throughout all of twentieth uh, the twentieth century, the Twilight people and the lunacy of man and all this stuff became like code words for being gay as shit. And so I don't know. Yeah, I I mean, it would not surprise me, but also, I mean, like, if you've never heard the original concept for 69 Love Songs, like, I know you have, but listeners, his original idea for that album was it it wasn't going to be 69 Love Songs, it, he, I think it had a different title, but it, it was, he originally, in his original concept for that album was a drag show, and he was going to have a different drag queen sing every song, and it was, it was, like, basically going to be, like, a theater only live show thing was there like the aspect of the whoever performed the best is the one who got paid that yeah night? the only one who would get paid would be the one who got the biggest crowd response and his, he didn't do that because his mom told him it was mean ah <laughs> uh, way to be a stereotype brah <laughs> well so if you have listened or if you own the first four i think magnetic fields cds there is a picture of a like a young woman it's the same picture it's like this young woman leaning against a car and she looks like she's probably in like her late teens early 20s and that's his mom and uh. he, he put his, the, the same picture of his mother printed on every cd for like the first four or five albums it's, it's okay <laughs> stephen merritt loves his mother very much <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I love my mom very much. He was also originally supposed to have a song on Momus's uh, song commissions album, Stars Forever, about his mother. So Get Lost, though, is... So their first four albums were uh, Distant Plastic Trees, Wayward Bus. Then the next one that came out was Charm of the Highway Strip, but it was actually recorded later. And Holiday, which came out like a month after Charm of the Highway Strip, w was recorded in 1993, but then they changed record labels right after they recorded it. So they finished the album and then changed record labels, and then their old label just held the album and like didn't put it out, and then put it out basically right at the same time as their first album on their new label, and kind of like to fuck them over, it sounds like. <laughs> That's not confirmed, but that was kind of... The impression I got was like, oh, you changed labels, well, fuck you, we're going to hold your album. And then as soon as they put out Charm of the Highway Strip, the old label put out Holiday. Um, so Holiday came out set, came out after Charm of the Highway Strip, but it was recorded a year earlier. Um, and all of those albums are kind of like experimental synth pop. Um, it's not pure synth pop, like especially the first two albums, uh, Distant Plastic Trees and Wayward Bus. There's a lot of like really weird instrumentation. Like, I it it drives me insane listening to those two albums because there are instruments on there that I cannot figure out what they are. Mm. Like the song "Summer Lies," I 
so fucking want to know what instrument they're playing on that song and i've never i've doodled it repeated every few years i doodle like what the fuck is the instrument on summer lies and apparently i'm the only one who cares because (laughs) there's nothing there's no information about it out there so if anyone knows tell me what the fuck instrument is playing the melody on summer lies i have to fucking know anyway so get lost is like the culmination of that like so the previous album charm of the highway strip was like a country synth pop album basically and then this is like we're gonna go like full omd full gary newman there's a lot of human league in this there's yeah there's always been a lot of human league in what they've done i mean then yeah and future bible heroes covered human league this is maybe their most bipolar album like, I know 69 Love Songs, just by virtue of having 69 songs, it, it has, like, is all over the place mood-wise, but this album is either fucking miserable or just complete endorphin rush. Uh, with Whom to Dance. Oh, God, that song. With Whom to Dance is one of my favorite, not just Magnetic Fields, but, like, Stephen Merritt songs. Like, mm. it's, and it's so simple. It's It's just solo guitar, just him strumming a guitar and singing, and it's just beautiful and just just one of those songs that's so beautiful it just destroys you um i want to particular like okay so there was a you know we've talked about some sort of daring lyrical content (laughs) and and there's more i mean like mostly around momus um and like when we eventually do like an arab strap album we'll talk about it the song The Desperate Things You Made Me Do, which is the second track on the album, is just it's so brutal by being casual. I mean, this is basically a song about domestic violence. Yeah. Um like the chorus says, you know, I'd like to beat you black and blue for all the agony you've put me through. And there's a good case to be made that's metaphorical. Because the song starts off with, uh, time provides the rope, but love will tie the slipknot, and I will be the chair you'll kick away. Which, I mean, obviously a suicide metaphor, but, like, so maybe it's all metaphorical. But just the fact that, like, you you don't hear that in songs. Or, like, if you do, it's, it's like, trying to be edgy. It's like, one of those, like, this, I heard this song early on, and, like... Front seat stained with love, back seat full yeah. of Bibles, purloined from the drawers of lost motels. I have that. I actually highlighted those lyrics. Those are that's such great song. It's such great lyric writing. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the reasons. Like, regardless of what you think and how his songs either hit or miss, he is probably one of the greatest living lyricists. Oh yeah. So I'm not a lyrics person. Like I, I've, I've made this clear. Like, like really bad lyrics will make me like a song less but really great lyrics will very rarely make me like a song more and see so i'm all about that if you notice the bands that i, I tend to gravitate toward it's people being an outlier but that's fine right yeah. that's very pretty uh <laughs> <laughs> i i love the divine comedy so much because neil hannon is just so fucking good and but steve merritt doesn't even have to try hard and like he can just sit there and like, I've watched him just plunk away at something and make a song in like two seconds. You're just like, I can't write music, and you just walk and you just quit your whole life because Stephen Merritt just embarrassed you in two seconds. 
Yeah, and again, I think he gets too cutesy sometimes, but when he's being serious, or even when he's being, like, wry, like, the, the song The Book of Love is really is really great for that. The Book of Love is, lo- is long and boring, no one can lift the damn thing. Or uh, the song Yeah, Oh Yeah on, mm-hmm. on 16 on Love songs is some of my favorite. Like, there's a... I used to have a bootleg recording of that song where they perform it and then Claudia is like, like ask the audience, like, do you guys think that song's funny? I think that song's fucking hilarious. <laughs> and I was like, yes, that song is fucking hilarious because it's called Yeah, Oh Yeah, and that's the refrain. But it's actually about like a couple going through a horrible breakup. And it's like, do you want to break my heart? Yeah, Oh Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so funny. It's, I mean, it's black comedy, but it's it's really funny black comedy. Well, it's like the the Tiger Lily song, Your Suicides, which there's not actually like a, a studio recording of that anywhere that I found. I like that song a lot. It's like, your suicides, you do them with pride. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, so so there's so the desperate things you made me do is like an up tempo song, but it's definitely not upbeat. It's, once you listen to it, you're like, oof. Yeah, like if you aren't paying attention to the lyrics, it, it just kind of sounds like minor key synth pop, like a you know again like Gary Newman or something maybe. But uh, like once you pay attention to the lyrics, it's like holy shit. Um, and and there's not a lot of other stuff that's that like that hits that hard in that way on the album Probably. i do i do feel like the, the the big tonal shift from that to love is lighter than air like for those there's <laughs> a good it's a good reason those songs are not closer together on the album uh, yeah that would just be like no i'm done i can't deal no, with this. i mean smoke and mirrors comes after yeah desperate things you made me do right which i think that song you, you are more of a gary newman person than me i think smoke and mirrors is like the most gary newman he ever sounded it very much is yes and that's good because and i appreciate that he appreciates the off-kilter stuff about gary newman which again like for uh, during a sixth album uh neil hannon and gary newman and momus all sing songs the Momus song on that second search album just wrecks me too. It's and if you don't know, it was the end song on the Pieces of April yeah. soundtrack. And so, as you turn to go, is the yes. name of the song. That song is great. Yeah, it, that's a song that's like it like hits me so hard I can't actually listen to it. For, like I can listen to that song like a couple of times a year because it just oh, I'm sad at all. Fuck. Oh no, definitely not. If you're if you're sad at all, like you stay the fuck away from that one. But um and some of that is to do with like I mean Momus's vocal performance on that oh, song yeah. is awesome. But... Momus is a, a gifted storyteller even <laughs> when it's not his words. Yeah. So uh so my favorite song on the album it, I hate to say this because Desperate Things You Made Me Do is so good that I don't even want to say that I like another song more than that one. Yeah. Um, but You and Me and the Moon, I love as like a counterpoint to that. It just That song is so joyous. Yeah. It's and a- so just like the it, it's the most probably the most overtly gay because he's singing about like in a cool gay bar where the people are entertaining mm-hmm. when the sun clocks in, we'll still be talking and champagneing. Um. This but is yeah, also a song I put on many playlists. Oh, I love that song so <laughs> much, and it's so just like so upbeat and so like happy. 
And the same with uh, The Song of the Village in the Morning, mm -hmm. which is, it, it's less, the composition is not as good as other songs on the album, but A, like, listen, pay really close attention to the bass line in that song. It is fucked. The bass line in that song sounds like they're playing on a broken synthesizer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I know they just have the oscillator set up in a weird way, but it's, it, like, it sounds like it, it's, like circuits blowing as they're playing it or something um and it's kind of like that song is it's it's not noisy i mean it's not like power electronics but it's just every all the sounds in that song are a little harsh um and it's like i love the lyrics in that one too like it's such a such a great like new relationship song like like oh come on just you know just like you spent the night with someone and it's trying to get them to stay and it's like you you can't leave the village in the morning and he'd like the line I, I can telephone my drummer and have her get your things which is a reference to claudia johnson who was their drummer um not so much on this album because it's pretty much all drum machines but in live settings mm -hmm. um all the umbrellas in london is my favorite that song is also like probably in terms of like objectively like best songwriting that's that's like second to desperate things you made me do yes. in my opinion uh my throat sore you should talk I, I, <laughs> so i love this album so much <laughs> no and, and with good reason like we 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 didn't we don't really discuss before we're like i was like what are you doing next week before we sit down to do like we know what we're doing next week when we start recording this podcast and I had been I had been eyeing doing a Magnetic Fields album, and I'm so glad that she picked this one. It was like, fuck, Famous is such a great song. Like, that's like... So th these the songs I put on playlists, it's like Famous, The Desperate Things You Made Me Do, You, Me, and the Moon, uh, Love is Lighter Than Air, When You're Old and Lonely. I, I like that song. When You're Old and Lonely is great. Yeah. And then All the Umbrellas in London. And, like, it's just this... This album informs a lot of how his side projects sound in the future because there's a lot of gothic archie's um composition in the in these songs that he just makes creepier and sadder yeah don't look away is is like a the, that could have been a gothic archie's song yes. with like if if the lyrics were a little more spooky yeah but some of the some of the the the, the audio tricks and stylings they do in this album sort of expands through the rest of his work and it had been culminating to this, and then he just took it and used bits and pieces of it. I think, and I, I know I didn't look this up, but I think he's probably pretty happy with this one. Because it's like, it just seems like the, how do you introduce someone to Stephen Merritt? Make them listen to Get Lost, because that's, you get every single mood of him. Yeah, and, and I'm not sure, it's it's really hard to find anything about this album. Like, mostly what I could find is that, like, it didn't review very well at the time. That all music guy can eat. Yeah, that was ass. that's a bad review. Like I found another the the best review in most of the reviews I I couldn't find like most of them it seems like are not online anymore. And I think the um, problem is that this this album is unapologetic. Well, so like I so what I saw was that like people liked the charm of the highway strip a whole lot and they saw this album as like, oh, he just made a synth pop album. Like there's no there's no hook to this. It's just synth pop, and like I I don't think that holds up. Like looking back, I mean, a I I think Charm of the Highway Strip is like not great. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it, it's it's a good record, and when we review it, I might. I mean, honestly, I have not listened to that album in years. Um, so I might like listen to it and be like, oh wait, this was really good, and I just didn't get it. But like, 
Oh no, there's nothing good on this album. Um, Fear of Trains is is great, and Born on a Train is great. That song. Oh, yes, for an album called songs. yeah, for an album called "The Charm of the Highway Strip," that album is all about riding on trains. Um, <laughs> like trains are the moon of that album. <laughs> but, like those two songs are really good, but I don't remember anything else on that album like standing out to me at all. Yeah. Um. So like it, it was kind of shocking to me to see these reviews that were like, "This is a major disappointment after how great Charm of the Highway Strip was." Because um, I think this just like blows that album out of the water. And you just have you have to listen. To, even if you don't end up liking his music, you need to listen to this album at the very least, and you get a, just a feeling for his his cleverness with language. And a, a lot of a lot of people I know who criticize Stephen Merritt is like, well, he just has the same few beats, and I'm like, yeah, but that's not the fucking point. By the end of it, the the words are what matter more than any any one sound in his music even though in the desperate things you make me do there is an absolute casio keyboard sound that there is not <laughs> he swears he doesn't use a casio keyboard but that is a casio keyboard sound yeah i i read i, I want to say it's the interview because the 69 love songs the, the book that comes with that collection is him being interviewed by by dan handler and i swear that he said something about like People always think I use Casios. I've never used a Casio on any recording ever. So I just don't believe that. <laughs> it was such a Casio sound. <clears throat> just based on the weird shit, the weird instrumentation they use, I. It's probably some like Eastern Block synthesizer oh, <laughs> or yeah. something that like nobody's ever heard of. Um. Because he's uh, like, I guess if I have a problem with Stephen Merritt, it's that he kind of gets so into. Because like, I, I, another thing I remember reading in an interview with him once is that he said he he likes like unlistenable experimental music or bubblegum pop and nothing in between. Checks out. And like, I don't think his like his experimental stuff. A lot of it to me is like not great. It's like some like experimental in the sense of like. Like the first album, Distant Plastic Trees, I find most of that album unlistenable. Um, and it's like their most experimental album that, that they've ever done. Um, so, like, I, I don't, I think that's why I like this one so much is like, he's one of those artists that, like, the more experimental he gets, the, the more I'm like, this, this is not your strength. <laughs> like, your strength is songwriting. And, yes. and it's cool when he, melds that stuff with songwriting it, it's not as cool when it's like i ran a, a door bro steel guitar through six ring modulators and it will like destroy your eardrums if you try to listen to it at any volume yeah he's he's very aesthetic but his aesthetic is only his like if you look at any of the videos he's ever done they're very <laughs> from his point of view and you get a feeling that it's kitschy, it's camp, but it's neither one of those things that you would just say. Like, if you look at his aesthetic and you and listen to it, you're like, well, there's, there's kitsch and camp here, but it's not what you associate with these things directly. But it is very much coming from that place. He has a lot of interests and peculiarities that he has just made his music. He's made it. He's, it is who he is is in his music, no matter what. And... I like that. That's what I like about all of his projects is that he just 
you get a a real sense of the weirdo behind it all. Yeah, I mean, he's weird in that he, like, a lot of, so much of what they do almost comes off as outsider music. Mm-hmm. And he's decidedly not. Like, he's he's extremely well-educated about what he's doing. But he then he does things like, uh, like, one of the defining Stephen Merritt things for me is the song Abigail Bell of, Bell of Coronan on 69 Love Songs, because he talked about how the like one of the things that he did in the studio on that album that took the most time was getting the tremolo on the guitar to be just just out of sync in the right way that he wanted with the the rhythm Mm -hmm. and it's like yeah and it drives you fucking insane because your ear wants that tremolo to be going at the same tempo as the as the rhythm and it's not and it is just it makes you crazy and that's like that's Stephen Merritt in a lot of ways it's like I worked very hard to make this song something that you don't want to listen to yep <laughs> and, but Get Lost is not that I mean I feel like Get Lost in a lot of ways is like their poppiest most straightforward album and so like I'm, it's I'm kind of a sellout to to like it so much because like Village in the Morning is kind of like the weirdest song in this album. I don't think and, it's, and I don't it's think not you're that a, weird. I don't think you're a sellout for liking it. I think it's more aptly described as just like a through connect a through line for the rest of his music, the rest of his career. Because there are there are shades of everything else that he does in this album, and then you just like I like that. I wonder if he does something like this later. And then you if you if you like. The weirdness on this album, or the the beat on this album, or like a, a, a lyrical flourish on this album, there is more Stephen Merritt for you elsewhere. And oh, like, there's very much Stephen Merritt. I mean, their one of their most recent albums was another. I mean, he did sixty nine love songs, and then he did a when he turned fifty, he put out the album fifty song memoir with one song for every year he'd been alive. <laughs> like. He's fucking prolific, and then their their new album has like twenty eight songs on it. I think (laughs) he would he would totally be Jandek if he was less well adjusted. Yeah, it's he is he's the Jandek you can stand to listen to. Yeah, and then that's now someone listening is going to be like, "Who's Jandek?" And my response to that is, "Don't." No, my response is, "Do go go out there and try to try to learn about Jandek." What if Jandek finds this? He might. Anyway, uh, listen to the song You Painted Your Teeth by Jandak and you'll never sleep again. Um, so, are we ready to... Uh, I might have been talking about this for like six hours. Oh yeah, we're, we're, this is going to be a long-ass episode. How long is it? Uh, we're at 108 and we haven't ranked it yet. But okay, well, well, I don't know how much trouble we're going to have ranking it. Give, I, give me a number. One. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and do it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I've, I've been like somewhat somewhat precious about like I, I don't want number one to change a lot but fuck this is so good and like liberation is great and like on certain days I, I might still like liberation a little more but like but if we just do just like the the lyrics battle from yeah so Susie doesn't count in this fight her bound just is a banger but Kill Uncle, The Philosophy of Momus, and Liberation are all in a lyrics fight, and then Stephen Merritt comes in and just drops a mi- drops a microphone, and then just like the desperate things you make me do, you made me do, just like wafts out of the re- the reverb on that, and you're like, well, fuck, he just won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's hard for me to imagine, the, and again, like I'm not like a big lyrics person, but like 
I don't know that we will ever do a song that that has better lyrics than that song. Uh, there are there are MoMA songs I think that do. Yeah, um, uh, there are MoMA lyrics. I mean, I, it, it's like "Desperate Things You Made Me Do" is like I don't even want to say I like those lyrics because, uh, like, I realize that like I'm saying that like this song about domestic abuse is the best song we will ever do. <laughs> but it's a Quentin Tarantino film of domestic abuse. Like, no, it's way more serious than that. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's that's why it's so good is because it's so believable. I mean, it's and it's not like, it, yeah, it, like I can totally buy buy that, and it, it's not that like, yeah, somebody needs to be out there like, like saying domestic abuse domestic abuse is okay, like that's not it at all. It's like, I I believe this so much; the, these emotions just ring so true. Like, I mean, because. To be clear, that he does not say, you know, this isn't an Eminem song. It doesn't end with him like murdering somebody or beating somebody. It's it's I want to beat you, black and blue. Um, so it, it's like that. Just that level of despair is to to be able to do that in a way that's this literary and and not lose any of the power of of either the emotion or the the quality of the poetry is just so rare yeah that like i momus and stephen merritt are the only people who i feel like are going to like provide that throughout the show and like i mean neil hannon to a lesser degree but he's 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 way more baroque and and dandyish than that like he's he's not a guy who's gonna sing about like the urge to commit domestic violence so i, I think he did did he no something for the weekend doesn't count but it, that's about a man being uh well that's on casanova though like yeah casanova is like the least neil hannon neil hannon lyrics But but yeah, uh, I'm fine with it. Number one, I've had a feeling this is gonna be number one. Yeah, it it, is. It's, it's 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 time. Yeah, Liberation's had a good run, but fuck me, this album's so good. <laughs> <laughs> like I I don't know that I mean like Holiday and Sixty Nine Love Songs are my other favorite Magnetic Fields albums besides this one, and I don't think either of those. I, I don't think I would put either of those at number one. So. I love I so much because Internet Operetta is such a me song. It, it is. Uh, fortunately, we don't have to talk about that one on the show because I don't like that album nearly as much as you do. I like I Thought You Were My Boyfriend and I like... Uh, oh, Jesus. I don't really love you anymore. That's yeah. my favorite song in that album. Um, anyway. So yes, new number one. Get Lost by Magnetic Fields. Let me put that on the list. Alright, so we've had more changes. I think this is the second week in a row that both albums we ranked went in the top ten, even though one of the ones from last week is about to get pushed out. Um, so our new top ten, number ten is Anxiety by Fei Wong. Number nine, What's the Story, Morning Glory? Man, that one has dropped a long way. Um, number eight, Eight Arms to Hold You. Hey, look at that. You can never have that at number 8 and 10 at number 10, though. Um, but at number 7 is 10 by Veruca Salt. What? No. 
Number eight is Eight Arms to Hold You by Veruca Salt. Number seven is Ten by Pearl Jam. Number six is Without You I'm Nothing by Placebo. Number five, Kill Uncle by Morrissey. Number four, Superstition by Susie and the Banshees. Number three, The Philosophy of Momus by Momus. Number two, Liberation by The Divine Comedy. It feels weird to say that. And the new number one, Get Lost by The Magnetic Fields. Well earned, in my opinion. And as always, if you want to see our complete list of rankings, you can go to bit.ly slash nr1990s. That's bit.ly slash nr1990s. And if you want to listen to all of the music that we have ranked on the show, you can go to our Spotify official Spotify playlist, which will be linked in the show notes or the YouTube description or wherever you're listening to this. So let's talk about what we're going to rank next week. Who are you bringing in, Hadrian? Uh, Dandy's Rule, okay, by the Dandy Warhols. Yes, it's going to be a fun one. Um, and... I am going to do Viva La Woman by Chibo Mato, their first album. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a long-ass episode. It's a long episode, but we had albums that needed to be talked about. So. I had a salad for breakfast, and I had no lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, let's wrap this up so you can eat. Yeah. Um, all right. So, yeah, go go listen to our past episodes listen to our future episodes tell your friends if you enjoy listening to our dumb bullshit um tell us if you would pay for our dumb bullshit on a patreon where we, where more we do dumb more bullshit. dumb bullshit <laughs> I, I have a lot to say about country music and uh, we could be doing that I could no make, i'm not gonna we could you be can doing do a that. solo show about country music or find someone else to do it i'm not gonna do a show about country music <laughs> You don't want to talk about Dwight Yoakam's jeans? Nope. Okay. I have. I, we will talk about uh, Ween's country album at some point on this that's show. That's not good, so. I disagree, but that's a topic for another episode. Let's go have dinner, everybody. Oh, God! <laughs>